Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. This week on Talk Nation Radio, we're talking about peace and about children. Our guest is Charles Bush, who is the founder of Peace Village Global and of Fields of Peace. He is the author of Soft as Water, 50 Meditations on Peace, and of A Promise to Our Children, Your Child, My Child, The Enemy's Child, A Field Guide to Peace. His background includes employment in the U.S. Marine Corps, being a business owner in New York City, and 20 years as a church pastor in the United Church of Christ. He is presently the director of Fields of Peace, a peace education slash activist nonprofit headquartered on the Oregon coast. You can see fieldsofpeace.org. Charles Bush, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thanks for the welcome, David. It's a privilege to be on. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for what you've been doing. Thanks for this book, which I very much enjoyed. And and I understand you're willing to to start by reading us a, a short excerpt. I'd like to start with that. And uh, it's really the very first story, the introduction uh, to the Field Guide to Peace. It begins in this way. A few years ago, my wife and I went to South Texas to visit her family. One morning, I went to a coffee shop to read the Times, and seated near me was a small group of men about my age, in their 70s. One had on a yellow caterpillar ball cap, and the others were gray-haired and balding. When a latecomer joined them, he was greeted with, What's new? And he replied, Same old, war and weather. Hearing the word war, I looked up and felt an impulse to go over. I imagined they'd ask where I was from and what I do. I'd say, the coast of Oregon, I'm a peace educator. We'd talk about the 50s, Cars, Elvis, Maryland, then the 60s, and Vietnam. At least one of them would have been in it. Then somebody'd ask, what do peace educators do? I'd keep it light. We remind each other that we're all in this together. But... I didn't go over, and when they left, I thought about what I really wanted to say to them, and the words came. There will always be weather, but there's nothing inevitable about war, and not only war, but a single harsh word, shove, or moment of indifference to the suffering of another. Always there is a choice. That moment in the coffee shop has stayed with me. And so has the question it left me with. After so many centuries of war and today's ongoing wars, what can you and I possibly do to end war, to bring peace? So that's the opening and uh, really poses the question, I think every generation, uh, it comes to every generation and we despair and we work on it. Certainly you've made it your life work. And uh, those of us at Fields of Peace, we're a very small nonprofit, uh, have come up with something to add to the usual deep and ongoing uh, uh, conversations and arguments for ending war, uh, those that have to do with morality and and the impracticality of war. And uh, uh, I'd love to share that with you as well. Okay. Okay. Um, the 
the education that we've been doing had been uh, really centered because of my my uh, religious background on the moral argument, which uh, of course is very identified with Martin Luther King Jr. But I had in my reading come across some numbers that startled me. They were in an article about uh, a discussion, a panel discussion that was held at Stanford University on ethics and war. And Richard Goldstone, you may know that name, uh, former chief prosecutor of the International Criminal Court at The Hague, he was speaking about the dramatic change in the nature of war in the last 100 years. And he said this, in World War I, the ratio of deaths of combatant to civilian were nine to one. So for every nine combatants killed, one civilian. That changed dramatically in World War II. The ratio became one to one. That's been uh, that due to uh, bombs and airplanes to deliver them. In today's wars, the last 30 to 40 years, the ratio has again changed dramatically from one to nine. For one, every one combatant killed, nine civilians are killed. Um, that Those numbers shocked me, and I looked up what other NGOs were saying, uh, academic researchers, peace scientists, the UN, and all of them confirmed those numbers, one to nine. Uh, the majority of the nine civilians are children, and uh, the conclusion for me is war has become the killing of children. So that was the shock, and that started some thinking. Uh, and uh, I'm assuming you're you're familiar with those numbers as well. Uh, there's one additional factor I think it can be useful to add to that, uh, sure. in, in that you know we're often talking about the wars that wealthy countries like the United States and its yeah. sidekicks and allies wage against poor countries thousands of miles away, uh, and and there aren't any uh, civilians and children being sent there by the United States to get themselves killed. I, I think it's important to point out that the that the vast majority of the deaths, over nine out of ten of the deaths in most of these wars are on a single side of the war, that they're not just slaughters of civilians and children and the elderly, but they're one-sided slaughters. Do you, do you agree that it's worth pointing that out? Oh, in, indeed. They really are one-sided. Um, one of the things that, that, uh, that came up for me, I, I came to parenting very late. Uh, our son came to us uh, when I was 52, and although I'd been preaching about love for uh, a number of years, the event of his uh, arrival in my life uh, told me uh, about the vulnerability of love and uh, just how desperate and absolute love can be. I realized I hadn't known too much about it. And that led to some discussions with our Fields of Peace people and what we decided was something very obvious. If war has become the killing of children, that slaughter, uh, the direct thing to do is to make a promise to our children. And 
that promise can be simple, but words words are actions, and they they are creative. They're the stuff of creation. And so our promise goes like this. I will not be a part of the killing of any child, no matter how lofty the reason. Not my neighbor's child, not my child, not the enemy's child, not by bomb, not by bullet, not by looking the other way. I will be the power that is peace. So we've been promoting that promise as a way to begin to engage people who perhaps had not been thinking about uh, ending wars, not thinking that those were possible, listening to all the old arguments about war being inevitable, and uh, inviting people one by one by one to say the promise, to let it begin through repetition, to work in them, and then to travel out, and also to lead them to action. So that's what we've uh, that's what we've come up with, and we're adding it to uh, the other parts of peace education. Uh, but this is our particular approach. It's 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 profound. It's beautiful. It's necessary. People can find it at fieldsofpeace.org. We ought to be making a promise to the children of humanity uh, and the one government on earth that hasn't signed on to the the Convention on the Rights of the Child. The U.S. government ought to do that. Um, you know, Charles, the, uh, the, the, the within the past couple weeks, there's been this book uh, hyped in the media and excerpted and reviewed in the New York Times uh, by Margaret McMillan called War, How Combat Shaped Us. That that sort of goes through, you know, myth, ancient myths about war and ancient wars and wars centuries ago, and then makes these pronouncements about war as if it's this eternal, unchanging thing. Uh, and yet, you you've just pointed out to us with these statistics how radically what war is has changed. Uh, how, how do we get that? through to people that no matter what they think of the glories of wars thousands of years ago, it, it, isn't, the, it isn't the exact same thing anymore. That's exactly right. I, uh, I have been helped uh, uh, and uh, passed your books along to other people, and you really, uh, you really talk very in, in, in depth about how it's not about human nature, and it's not about people have always been at war, and uh, those myths need to be need to be shattered, and it's part of that long educational process. So, so what do peace educators do? On on your website, it says you're setting up study groups. Uh, is how is we that are. going? We're we're trying, um, and we're <laughs> we're open to suggestion uh, because we're we're small, but we're trying these initial efforts. One is to send out copies of the field guide to NGOs, to peace organizations, to international children's organizations, to say, would you add this approach to the message that you are already sending out to a vast network? And we, in turn, will promote your organization on our website in the workshops and, and programs that we do, and ask people to to look at your newsletter to support your work, that we're all doing this together. 
uh, we're also we want to tap into the the idealism and the time and the energy of very young people. I'm thinking primarily of college age students, and so we're just now starting discussions with uh, some university teachers to see if we can get student-led groups to look at the promise and to talk about it and then uh, see what action it brings, uh, it brings about for them. Uh, we're working on that. And, of course, we're, we're really thinking about our own personal practice, that we say it each morning, we say it out loud, we try to stay in touch with how the words change us and deepen our passion and dedication, our commitment, but also trusting that uh, little bit of magic of the way words have of traveling and unfolding and uh, being heard in ways we can't always predict. We're speaking with Charles Bush, one of whose books is called A Promise to Our Children, Your Child, My Child, The Enemy's Child, A Field Guide to Peace. The website is fieldsofpeace.org. Charles, I certainly hope we can, I'll have to talk with my colleagues, but that we can send that information to chapters of World Beyond War uh, around the world, uh, which have people of all ages in them and, and get them working on this. Um, it, you know, people, people really have no idea, at least the vast majority of people, correct me if I'm wrong, in the United States, have no idea that wars are one-sided slaughters of civilians and of children right. and of, is it, is it ignorance? Is it malice? Is it maliciously willful ignorance? Is it blameless manipulation by propagandists? Uh, what is it? Well, I like your word, uh, uh, willful indifference, willful ignorance. If it's not the fact that we don't have uh, a draft, the fact that we don't have a uh, a government service option for young people, uh, so wars go on, and and the most privileged kids, uh, you know, they're off to college, they're off to uh, programs, they're starting their careers, and too often it's the uh, the racial minorities and the uh, and the poorest who find. Uh, uh, military service as one of their only options. And uh, so not having a service that calls on every young person, uh, uh, I would advocate for that service, and I would advocate for a robust invitation to serve not in a military way, but in, in public service. And I think this would, uh, uh, Germany did this years ago uh, uh, to, great, uh, to great success. Well, I, I, I take your point uh, about uh, there not being a draft, a military draft at the moment, although there is registration and they're desperately trying to expand it to yes. young women, and I uh, yes. oppose that. But I oppose the poverty draft, and I certainly oppose an actual draft, uh, and I oppose yeah. calling employment in the military a service, since I don't see it serving anything. Um, but as to creating a, a non-military uh, mandatory service, uh, while the majority of the country is clearly opposed to it, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I'm far more open to it than I am to, to military so-called service. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm with you on... Uh... Uh, not having a draft. That's the last thing we need. Oh, I'm, gl I'm so glad you agree because so many oh, yeah, peace no. activists don't. <laughs> they want it. No, no. I'm, I, I, would, I would not be advocating for that. And I'm very glad you brought up the uh, 
the Convention on Children's Rights, I have, uh, I subscribe, perhaps because of some religious background, to a sense that uh, there is a deep sense of right and wrong in each person. And uh, one, of the, one of the things that seems a little bit of uh, evidence along those lines for me uh, had to do with how quickly, after the Second World War, after the indictment uh, of humanity, that uh, uh, the examples being the Holocaust and, and our bombing of Hiroshima, uh, how quickly we not only came up with the UN, but the UN put together a task force uh, of 18 people from around the world, diverse religions and, and cultures and countries, and asked them to come up with a, uh, a bill a list of human rights. And uh, what I liked was that that consensus happened very quickly. All 18 of them, within what seems to me about a year, had drafted uh, 30 articles, 30 human rights, that seemed inalienable to all of them. And I love that, and I, I sort of see as a child of that, and, and in some ways a precursor, the uh, the list of rights for children and uh, how we agree with those. It is shocking that of 196 countries and all members of the UN, the U.S. is the only country that has not signed, the uh, that has not ratified. They signed an intention as I understand it, but they have not ratified uh, the Convention of Children's Rights. That's that's shocking, but it's uh, it also it also uh, shows how um, how invested we are to to being a, a military empire. Well, I I agree with you on pretty much all points, and I speak as a, as an anti-religious, uh, enthusiastic atheist uh, who doesn't believe anything <laughs> anything cultural is universal or deep in any way. Uh, I I think we need to to stress the moral argument. I need think we need to highlight the 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 good moral actions of the past and present, and uh, and denounce the bad ones. Um, uh, what what about the other ninety six percent of humanity? I mean, so often the war making in the United States is defended as human nature and and deep mm-hmm. deep needs for war and so forth. Uh, but but you know, over ninety percent of humanity is represented by governments putting radically less into militarism and wars. Do it, it, does it have anything to do with with the public uh, that those governments represent? Do do people outside of the United States know that wars are, are slaughters of, of innocent children, or do they not know it either? Well, they don't uh, haven't had at least as much access as we do to information, and uh, I think that has changed somewhat dramatically in the last uh, decade or two through the Internet. And I'm feeling hopeful that our world has become so obviously small, uh, close-knit, and, and so obviously mutually dependent, that whether you get daily news and accurate news or not, it's pretty clear that uh, borders don't mean what they used to, and that uh, 
a global business, the internet, the speed and ease of travel, uh, uh, good translations of important documents, all of that has come about, uh, much of it in my own lifetime. I'm 79. And I have hope that the people in those countries are looking for ways to do nonviolent revolutions, uh, as we had in a number of Arab countries a few years ago, and that uh, people are serving notice. Well, my hope around the promise is that it will it will arrive horizontally, uh, somewhat from the bottom up, but mainly horizontally, where through my promise and uh, encouraging people in my family, in my circle, in my community, that that reaches out and uh, uh, to state legislators and to more regional leaders. And finally, it serves notice to government leaders that the population is no longer with you. That's my hope. And uh, yeah. uh, often that's how things happen. And you've got it in, in numerous languages uh, at the, on the website fieldsofpeace.org, right? We do. Uh, there's now 13 or 14 languages, including uh, one Native American language, and we'll be adding to that. And if some of your listeners uh, go to the website and do not see their uh, their language or language they would like to see listed, we would love to uh, love to be in touch and uh, uh, have their translation of the promise. Uh, very good. Um, you, you, Charles Bush, in, in, in what you read as an excerpt at the, at the beginning, uh, you spoke of, you know, the possibility of ending war, but also of avoiding a single harsh word or a single hostile uh, action. And, and I think you're absolutely right, and it's important. Uh, on the other hand, I think getting rid of war would be a million trillion times easier than getting everyone on earth to always avoid a single harsh word. In fact, when I debate people on the possibility mm -hmm. of ending all war, they never want to talk about war. They always want to talk about what I would do in a dark alley, you know, to protect my grandmother. Yes. Because war, yes. war actually takes a huge organizational, institutional building up of infrastructure. War doesn't just, just happen on its own, right? It's a tremendous investment, and the list of the list of companies in our country and internationally who who profit from war, uh, and I think of the way it's built in, at least in the U.S. Uh, if I'm a senator or a congressional representative, uh, how am I going to come home? Because strategically, I think there are war industries in each state. So who's going to come home and say, I'm going to shut uh, uh, shut Boeing down, or I'm going to shut this drone warfare uh, equipment down, and jobs will be lost, but it's important to do that. It's really built in, and it makes it so difficult for our representatives to stand up. Except that conversion and how to do it and the savings involved has been understood for decades. The fact that you can turn jobs making uh, warplanes into jobs making passenger trains and solar yeah. panels uh, and save so much money and have so many more jobs and better paying jobs that nobody has to suffer in the transition whatsoever. And I don't think there's any dispute about it. Nobody knows this, but there's not really any dispute about it, is there? No, uh, and I learned that from uh, a field that's new to me, and I learned it from our mutual friends at the War Prevention Initiative that's uh, 
headquartered in Portland, Oregon. And they introduced me to peace science, and one of the first facts that I read and I thought, oh, my gosh, was that, uh, yes, you're going to lose jobs in the military, and there will be far more jobs, and the, and the money will be spent on health care and education and infrastructure and the things that we're aching for. Uh, a peace activist named Lisa Savage was recently on this program who pointed out that when a little money, little bit of money started flowing for uh, protection against uh, coronavirus, uh, a, a major weapons dealer in, in Maine, General Dynamics, was asked, uh, could yeah. they move some money to making uh, machines to make swabs to test people for coronavirus? Uh, and some money was dangled in front of their noses. And within a week, it was it was happening. A weapons maker was doing healthcare instead on a small scale, but there was nothing about it that couldn't have been scaled up to to include the whole military. That is hopeful. So, yeah. so how, uh, how, Charles Bush, how did you get into this work uh, when most Marines and most business owners and most <laughs> preachers uh, don't seem to have any interest in it? Well, I don't mind you mentioning the Marine part. In fact, uh, for some people, maybe it adds a little... Uh, a little credibility or think that I might have some empathy from where they're coming from uh, when they're resisting uh, uh, conversations about nonviolence and war. But I joined at 17. Uh, I'd been an indifferent student, and so I joined, much to the consternation of my parents. My father's a university professor, and uh, but I was, in a way, coming up with my own rite of passage, and I didn't uh, I didn't see an invitation to something else, so um, I went, and I did put on some muscle and uh, some breezy confidence, but uh, I was so gung-ho, I was so well indoctrinated that uh, I decided I wanted to make a career out of the Marine Corps, and I, I uh, took the option of going to college under a Marine Corps program that would allow me to become an officer. So I was, I was headed in that direction. But while I was in college, we're talking mid, uh, early and mid '60s, uh, the Vietnam War was going on, and very gradually, uh, not quickly in my case, but very gradually, I started to see uh, how much of that war and maybe wars in general are are based on lives, and uh, it wasn't making any sense. And I was visiting a friend in New York, and there was a parade, there was a demonstration against the war. There were thousands of people coming up. Actually, it was Broadway. And I was standing on the curb watching. I'd been thinking, but uh, hadn't reached a decision about that war or whether I would be willing, I was still in the reserves, whether they could call me up. And seeing those thousands of people, reading their placards, looking at the faces, the diversity of ages and, and races, I stepped off the curb and joined that group. And that was, a, that was quite a moment for me. And it took this river of other people to, to finally take me off the edges and uh, have me join. Wow. One of the many, many reasons we need those big marches, as well as all sorts of other activities, including 
peace education uh, and the production of, of books uh, and of websites like fieldsofpeace.org. We've been speaking with Charles Bush. He is uh, the uh, founder of Fields of Peace as well as of Peace Village Global. Uh, you can check out the website fieldsofpeace.org. Charles, thank you very, very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. David, my privilege. Thank you for all that you're doing, and I look forward to more work together. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. Read or listen to today's Peace Almanac entry at peacealmanac.org. All past shows can be heard at talknationradio.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is supported by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.